Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Ollie Watkins just gets away from him, but El Ghazi's behind him. And more El Ghazi! 3 0! Emphatic! Triore with Watkins available. Triore just passes it into the corner. Big moment for him. It's young. Crowd full side. He slides it into the net. Here's Douglas the Wee, strong on the ball. Opens up for John McGinn, plays the pass towards Watkins. 1 0 Villa. Villa's a big clap, mate. So. Gather around, villains, and welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast lovingly prepared for you by underagaslitlamp.com. Today, we have a few issues to discuss, not least the disappointing defeat to Arsenal on Saturday, as we try to sum up the general mood as we enter the international break. I'm Andy, and today, as ever, I'm joined by Craig. Hi, Andy. Hello, listener. We are delighted to be back. An unfortunate result against Arsenal this past Saturday, which we will take a deep dive into, but just a regular... um, um, Thank you, really, to just say thank you all for listening and for sticking with the show. Um, We appreciate you and um, we do this for you as well as for us. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd second that. We, you know, we love doing it and it's really nice when we get um, you guys um, feeding back to us, asking us stuff, you know, or... Or jumping in um, on the, on Twitter and uh, and questioning us, so keep keep it going. Um, you know, we'll 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 keep trying to provide a decent hour of Villa chat for you every week. Um, but we'll start with the Arsenal um, game, and and there were some changes to the team as Villa looked to keep the winning habit against Arsenal um, at home, having having won the uh, you know the previous two home matches since we got promoted. Um, as expected, Ashley Young replaced the injured Luca Dina, whilst maybe more surprisingly, Ezri Konza regained his place ahead of Callum Chambers, whilst Danny Ings was dropped to the bench as Emmy Buendia was restored to the front three. Um, not only sort of changes in personnel here, but also a system change. Um, what, do you, what do you think Gerard's thinking was with this? I think his thinking was modelled, and I think his thinking was unclear. And I think his thinking was deeply flawed. To me, it looked like... Um, now, I will preface this by saying, I promised once we got to 40 points, I would stop complaining about Gerard's interesting formation choices. But we're not at 40 points, so I'm, I'm still going to question them. To me, it seemed that Gerard used the defeat against West Ham as a kind of mandate or as an excuse to say, oh, look... The two strikers isn't working anymore. Let me just go back to do what I want to do, even though it hadn't been working. Obviously, with this system, with these personnel or similar personnel, we'd won one game in eight before he changed it. And we all credited Gerard Gerard for changing it. The two strikers uh, and uh, Philip Coutinho at the number 10 role had us win three out of the last four. And we did run West Ham very close as well. And he went back to the two number 10s and we were just bloody awful again so clearly Gerard has a bit of a stick up his backside about these two number 10s he seems to be absolutely intent on playing it come hell or high water and unfortunately Aston Villa have paid the price again because we didn't even 
look coherent, never mind look like winning that football game. Uh, Arsenal had three points uh, um, absolutely handed to them on a, on a silver platter. And, um, and, and Villa did not lay a glove on them. It was so easy. And it's just baffling at this point why he would keep returning to something that just patently, at least with these personnel, doesn't work. No, absolutely. I, I, I think the the Buendia one was a was a surprise. I I, I thought um, against Arsenal, um, he would take the view that at least have the have the goal scorers on the pitch, and and the goal scorers are Watkins and, and Ings, um, really, and Ramsey, obviously. Um, so I was surprised. Um, well, sort of half surprised because I think Buendia did come on and 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 make an impact against West Ham, um, but whether that's that's really enough to suddenly um, to leave Ings out or whether that Ings had a had a knock, I'm not sure if if you heard anything about that. Whether he he was he was not fit to, to start. Uh, I that that was the rumor, and it was similar with with Chambers. But even so, you don't need to change the system. Leon Bailey's played up front. Bertrand Troy always played up front, so it's not like he had to go back to this two number tens. Um, but he he chose to anyway. So even if Ings wasn't ready to start as a striker, Traore could have started as a striker and Bailey also could have started as a striker and um and certainly done that job. Yeah, and 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 in terms of in terms of Konza, I mean, you know, obviously if if Chambers was carrying a knock then it's probably the the wise thing to do. Um but I think it it really showed um that uh you know how how in a possession in a possession-based team, as we try to be, um, how limited Esri Konza is on the ball. Um, he can do it. He can um, move the ball sort of sideways across the defence, but he's not comfortable going forwards. And um, you know, we we said, I think we I think we missed uh, Chambers' sort of uh, forward momentum in this in this game. Whether it would have made that much difference, I don't know. And Konza. You know, was 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 pretty decent defensively during the game, so no 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 real issues there. But um, other than that uh, moment where he nearly uh, put one in, uh, Martinez uh, saved yeah, the day there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but but you know, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? That uh, you know, we have we have players. I mean, obviously, Konza started the season was was absolutely undroppable. Um, Emmy Buendia, you know. Um, is the you know the the club the club record signing yet? You know they're both they're both on the fringes of things really, and there's a case for both of them that they that you know they they shouldn't be playing, and whether they've really done enough to 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 be in the side, you know, for these sort sorts of games really. Well, yeah, it has to be said that you're you're looking now at the um, and there's been an article about it. I think on four four two today. Um, I don't know the name of the author off the top of my head. I can try and find that in a second. Um, talking about the three Grealish replacements, all the individuals hailed as the three Grealish replacements by Christian Perslow on that uh, rather iconic uh, impromptu press conference that he delivered from his own kitchen kitchen table by the looks of it, <laughs> uh, when Jack Grealish was sold, talking about how Danny Yings, Leon Bailey and Emi Buendia had been bought to replace the goal contributions of Jack Grealish. And it is 
probably reasonable to, st- to say at this point, um, barring some kind of late miracle in the last nine games, that none of those three signings has been, has really performed at the level that we would have liked them to. And that's not to say they never can or never will, but you wouldn't look at any of those three signings, or certainly I won't, I won't speak for you, Andy. I wouldn't look at any of those three signings and say, yeah, absolutely, those signings have been great signings for Aston Villa. No, no, not at all. And cer- certainly not certainly not yet. I think I think one or two of them have some potential, you know, but at the moment it's not looking it's not looking too bright for any of them really. Um and it's it's a hundred million pounds, you know. This is what we're you know, these these are big signings for Aston Villa in the in the history of Aston Villa, you know, and they're you know, they they've they've really not contributed you know, a hell of a lot. They've all, you know, not Bailey's obviously been injured, so it's it's harsh. It'd be harsh to to critique him too much. But um, Buendia and, and Ings have played played a lot of games, and they've they've just not looked um, up to the level that we thought we were we were signing at all um, at this point. So um, and yeah, I've I've got the the author there, Andy. It's Richard Jolly on the articles on four four two dot com uh, released today. Um, we are recording on Tuesday, March 22nd. So have a look at that. It's a good read. Uh, Richard Jolly, the author there. And Richard Jolly makes the point that um, actually these players probably could never have played together in the first place. Even in a 4-3-3 system, Ings, we know, isn't a lone striker by anyone's stretch of the imagination. I don't think even Danny Ings himself would claim to be a lone striker. And so if you had Buendia and Bailey either side, that probably wouldn't work with Ings because he doesn't have the, the the faculties, if you like, to play as a lone striker. So then if if we know they can't play together, and you've also got Ollie Watkins now, you've also got uh, uh, um, um, Coutinho now as well. There is no system that Aston Villa have where those three blockbuster signings can realistically play together. And that that does beg the question of Langer and Perslow as to how much joined up thinking there was um, in, in that summer window or was the signing of perhaps Danny Ings as an example just a kind of uh, hey everyone look over here don't worry about Grealish we've got Ings rather than a coherent well researched well thought through um, kind of precise you know, machine-like precision. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm. You know, what I'm trying yeah. to say sort of. A, it, it's yeah, some, something that they yeah. thought about in advance, and they, 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 they'd actually put the numbers together, and and there'd been a bit of a bit of. Um, well, you called it joined-up thinking um, around it. Really, I, I have my suspicions that that Danny Ings was signed um, at the last minute um, because they couldn't get Tammy Abraham because um, I think that that was probably the one they wanted. Um, but Abraham absolutely flying as well. Yeah. In Italy. Well, yeah, and 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 always has. I think I was I was saying to someone earlier. We we won't get too sidetracked with with Roma, um, but uh, we were saying I was saying to someone earlier that you know he's he's basically obviously top scorer for Roma this season. Like previous two seasons, he was top scorer at Chelsea, despite you know not not playing an awful lot last season. Um, he was obviously top scorer at Villa. And he was top scorer at Bristol City. The only time I think he hasn't been 
top top goal scorer was in, in that that lone spell at Swansea in between. So, you know, this is a guy that that bangs in goals wherever he goes and uh you know, if we could have got him for for 34 million um last last summer, I think if we if we've had an opportunity to get him we've 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 missed out because I you know, I'd, I'd still, I'd still take him now. You know, we're we're sort of years. He on. won't be available for. Well, he won't be available for thirty-four million now. No, no. And if, and if the Danny Ings deal is is the mooted thirty million pounds, and you and if you got now, it doesn't mean that Tammy Abram was available. But if you've got Danny Ings now, about to turn thirty, creaking, picking up knocks, really not setting the world on fire, Tammy Abraham still in his early twenties, growing into the footballer that that we all thought he might become i mean it's 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 not like you've gone and found a um you know maybe signed like daka for example like a young striker with a, a big upside that liverpool uh, sorry leicester signed it's not like you've gone after someone like that you've gone the opposite end of the spectrum to go to danny ings which tells you that um it's not clear thinking an alternative to Tammy Abraham, if Tammy Abraham, assuming Tammy Abraham was uh, a Villa target, the alternative to Tammy Abraham is not Danny Ings, not in age, not in profile, not in physical stature, not in playing style. They have the only similarity that they, they have is they both got A's in their names. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, and I, I mean, we're speculating a bit here, you know, as to as to what they actually what they were after, really, but or whether he was even ever an option. But there was certainly strong links, you know, that um, you know he was going to be he was going to be coming through the door, and uh, and that never happened, which is a, you know a bit of a bit of a shame in my opinion. But we'll see what happens this summer, I guess. Um, you never know. Well, while, while we're speculating, this just before we get onto the game, because the game isn't <laughs> going to be fun. <laughs> Transfers is fun. Big report in, in the Times, Andy. I'm just uh, checking through the notes here. I don't think you, this is mentioned, so I'm not in trouble. Good. <laughs> a big report in the Times, Sunday Times over the weekend, a, 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 quite, uh, um, a quite detailed report that Aston Villa are trying to sign Calvin Phillips for £60 million plus a bumper £10 million per year salary. What was your... Uh, first of all, did you read that, Andy? And what were your thoughts about it? What do you think? I, I, I didn't read the article. I read the, I read the, the Villa report um, <laughs> aggregate of the, uh, of the news. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is a player that obviously Villa were linked with two years ago um, when they when they got promoted. Um, when Leeds was still in the championship, um, obviously really highly thought of, uh, probably one of England's best players um, over the last eighteen months or so. Certainly in the um, in the in the Euros, I thought he was absolutely superb um, for England, um, and he's the sort of player that absolutely you would want. You know, and I think the sort of player that Gerard would want, um, brilliant on the ball, passing range to die for, um, aggressive, you know, a bit of a nasty so-and-so and um, everything you'd want. There are two things, though. First of all, I think it would take um, quite a lot for him to leave Leeds, um, I think he's, he's obviously a Leeds boy and he's, that's, that's, his club and 
That's where he's grown up, a little bit, you know, a bit like Grealish. And surely, you know, with someone like that, there'll be Champions League or Europa League clubs looking at him. Um, and yes, I suppose Villa, you could argue, well, maybe Villa will just gazump them all financially, but that doesn't mean he would he would he would join Villa. I think I think we'd have to. A bit like we might have to with Coutinho, you know, it would be a case of, well, you know, what what's happening at the club? Or, you know, are we going for Europe? You know, or is this another transition season? Um, what what about you? What what do you reckon? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, to credit the author, I'm doing a very bad job of the author credits here. That's Jonathan Norcroft for the Sunday Times who reported this. Um, again, quite a reputable journalist. So I don't think that this is this is just paper talk, and it's not silly transfer season where people are just trying to fill pages. So I believe there is legs in this. Villa have had a long-standing, well-documented interest, as you mentioned, Andy, in Calvin Phillips, going back to the Dean Smith uh, uh, days where Villa were promoted, and, and actually Calvin Phillips was apparently very close to joining Aston Villa, but decided to give Leeds another year to see if he could get them up, and did so. Calvin Phillips, I think, is would be a <laughs> I was going to say a seamless fit. I thought Danny Ings was going to be a seamless fit, and he's not. Um, but because you can never guarantee. But as as close as you can get to a sure thing, Calvin Phillips would be a sure thing. I don't think the stature is something that he has that Stephen Gerrard was banging out on about in terms of physical stature, but certainly stature of personality, stature of uh, credibility with that wonderful performance in the Euros. He has been brilliant every time I've seen him. All those things you mentioned there, Andy, we don't need to repeat. Wonderful skill, wonderful talent. The concern that I have is, uh, along with you, can Villa even get him? Because we're not going to qualify for Europe. Other teams are. And would Calvin Phillips see it as a bit of a sideways move to Aston Villa? Possibly. The second concern I have is probably the, the biggest concern is really about his durability. That's Calvin Phillips and his ability to stay fit. Uh, this is someone who seems to miss a great deal of games. It seems to have a chronic issue, at least with his shoulder. I'm right. In, I think I'm right in saying he has constant shoulder issues. His, his shoulder's always taped up and, and and that is a concern, and he's he's he seems to pick up a, a, a an injury or two that keep him out for a lot of action every single year. So I would be concerned about spending that kind of money on a player who might not be available as much as we need him. Um, a, a wise man once said, "The best ability in a footballer is availability." And I don't know that Calvin Phillips guarantees that, Andy. No, possibly not. Possibly not. And. You know, you could argue that the Bielsa kind of um, murder ball training sessions might have contributed to a lot of those players missing an awful lot of football over the last few years. Um, but maybe that's one of the things that made made Phillips good as well. And you, you don't know how well he'd he'd adapt to um, to to a new way of, of of doing things. So it's it's all. Um, I think I think we're we're a long way. It feels like we're a long way out from from transfer season, but like you say, I mean, you know, to to get to get such a a big transfer story um, so early, it was you know at this stage of the of the year um, from a from a from a top journalist like Northcroft is um, is uh, 
um, unusual, not unusual, but you know, it has to be, you, you sort of sit up and you think, oh, there might be something in that. So um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I'd certainly, I'd, I'd very much like him there. And um, if they can get him, um, 60 million is, is probably about the, the bottom end of the, the going rate, I would have thought for, for him as far as Leeds are concerned, particularly if they were selling him to Villa. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, but back to reality now. Back Andy. to the match, I think, and uh, it was a <laughs> it was a really slow start from from Villa, um, as Arsenal comfortably settled into a, a, a passing rhythm from the word go, really, and, and were consistently getting into dangerous areas. Uh, Villa, meanwhile, rarely threatened as as Coutinho and Buendia failed to to find any spark going forward. Um, there was a big talking point in the first half. Um, as uh, Tyrone Mings was booked by the referee for a seemingly reasonably clean challenge um, to lay the ball off to to, to Ashley Young um, before kind of Saka kind of went over his leg. Um, even from the stands, this looked like a bizarre decision. Um, but then the debate has kind of continued with some suggestion even that it could have been a red card. I mean, my question, my question is, um, do you even recognise this game of football anymore? It's really been like a big story this one over the weekend. <laughs> you know, the the, I mean, put it this way: I think Villa have been on the, the end of more controversial decisions than that uh, yellow card for Mings. But yeah, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, Saka is actually the one who, you know, if you look at the 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 frame by frame, Saka actually moves into Mings's line of where he's sliding rather than the other way around. Both of them are moving at the same time, so they're both converging towards the ball. But Mings is that slide is in motion before Saka's even there. Now down to the the interpretation, I can see how people think it was uh it was it was it was not a foul at all. I can also see how people think it might be a foul, but this talk of a red card is just absolutely nonsense. And the the, the sideshow that's kind of um, developed from this with people saying that Villa somehow targeted Saka, um, no, that is fake news. Uh, Saka, I saw, was fouled three times while he was on the pitch. Two, if you don't count that Mings foul as a foul for which he pick, picked up the booking. Saka was not targeted. I think Saka and Smith Rowe have been spending a bit more, a bit, a bit too much time with our old captain, Jack Grealish, because both of them were falling down for all kinds of things. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize them for it because I, I would be a hypocrite because I used to cheer on Grealish when he did it for us last year, but it's the same kind of thing, particularly Smith Rowe and Saka, uh, the Arsenal players, they're engineering ta- contact. They're leaving a leg in, they're going down easily rolling around grasping their ankles when they've barely been touched uh smith row probably was slightly more guilty of this i thought on sunday than, than saka was but this whole furore is just absolutely ridiculous it, it wasn't that big a deal the, the the main thing is tyrod mings didn't leave the ground he wasn't out of control this wasn't a two-footed lunge he took the football he tackled the football and then saka and he had a coming together not a foul, not a booking, and certainly not a red card. And it's interesting to see where we go from here, as as you talk about in terms of recognising the game of football, because I don't know how much more 
soft it can get. In the beginning of the season, the Premier League referees had were getting lots of credit because they'd taken a sort of um, a guidance almost from the Euros uh, last summer where the, the referees had a very noticeable light touch and they let the game flow. VAR was hardly involved and everyone liked that. And the Premier League referees, I think, started in that in that vein. But gradually, as the season season has worn on, it's it's ticked away, ticked away, ticked away, and now we're back to this this uh, these bitty games where the referees are blowing for fouls almost every two seconds. So it's it's difficult to see where it's going. But the one thing I'd say is, where's the consistency in it? Because last week we had a referee against um, West Ham who let forearm smashes go and boots to the face go on Douglas Louise. West Ham roughed Villa up last week. This wasn't even a, a, that kind of game, Villa versus Arsenal, yet that referee's blowing blowing his whistle every two minutes and, and, and it, it's really confusing because there's just no consistency across the referees. No, there is. I mean, there's no, there never has been really, has there, in terms of that. But, I mean, I just look at that foul. I mean, when you're up in the stand and I was kind of level with it, um, looking looking down onto the onto the incident, if you like, and uh, it looked like um as the ball has gone towards Mings, he's 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 almost hesitated slightly or misjudged it slightly, and then he's had to go to ground in order to 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 deflect the ball round to, to Ashley Young. But he's done it absolutely cleanly. There's no Question that he's gone through Saka, uh, or he's 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 had to. Sometimes players will will kind of get half man, half ball, and that sort of thing. And okay, they give them as as as, as fouls these days. I don't agree with it, but that that's what they do. But this was a clean foot on the ball, um, controlled, and it was a pass. It was a pass essentially to Ashley Young. It wasn't even a where he's flown in and it's deflected to Ashley Young. So, you know, I, I and and when you sometimes when you're watching a game live, you can kind of see it and you think, well, the refs got that wrong. Fair enough, you know, it happens. But <laughs> to actually then realise that there's a debate going on on Sky Sports about whether Tyra Ming should have been sent off for that. Just it's just it beggars belief, you know. The fact he was booked and it was given as a foul is bad enough, you know. That that there are actually people watching that thinking he should have been sent off. I just find that, you know, I I, I just can't wrap my head around it at all because it's not even a foul. Uh, tribalism, Andy. It's tribalism, <laughs> and we all are in our. We all divide ourselves into our own little tribes, uh, as uh, in terms of football fandom. And I think that whenever anything happens to some of the media darling football clubs, of Aston Villa isn't one <laughs> listener. If you case you were curious, Aston Villa is not a media darling of a football club. Although we do have a bit of a media darling as a manager, Arsenal are one of the kind of protected species, the seditious six. Anything involving them gets overhyped, over uh, uh, analysed, and 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 I think that that. Saka in particular is seen as some kind of, um, you know, he's he's been made out to be some meek little lamb who needs to be saved from the big brutes at Aston Villa. The whole thing's taken on a life of its own, and it's absolutely it's absolutely ridiculous. The 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 key is here, 
Saka was not hurt or harmed. There was not a bad challenge on him. And that we need to be very careful about where we focus our attention in terms of player welfare and well-being. And player welfare and well-being should be considering proper concussion protocols, making sure that head injuries are, are taken care of in the proper way and players can't stay on the pitch when they've been uh, knocked out and things like that. Um, whereas these kind of these kind of things with the Saka and Mings challenge, it's 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 a sideshow. No one was in any harm. No one was in harm's way. No one was hurt. It was just a normal footballing incident. So I think this kind of false false equivalency needs to stop because there are some serious medical issues which happen on the pitch. We've seen the likes of Peter Cech. We've seen the likes of Raul Jimenez um, have some really life changing issues on a football pitch. And so we have to be careful when we're talking about these things to to, to make sure that we're applying a level of of measured um, um, context to 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 what we're saying. No, I to- totally agree. And, and the same goes for you know that 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 debate about the five subs. You know they can't they can't even get three subs and a concussion sub right, can they? You know, and what um, you know what what needs to happen with 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 these in, in with these head injuries and you know can they come off the pitch for a period of time while they have an assessment like they're doing rugby and then go back on and switch it around again um you know they need to look into these sorts of things first before they start giving uh, managers like Pep Guardiola um more um more sort of uh you know, license to 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 mess about with the game, really, but yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. I think it. I think I think all this is a sideshow, and I think, I think, in fairness, managers like Arteta and Guardiola wants the game to be uh, refereed in that way because it makes it easier for their players um, and the way they play the game. Um, but it doesn't stop their sort of dark arts either. You know, it's it's one of them where you can take tackling out the game. Um, but I'd like to see taking those little uh, Fernandinho tugbacks on the halfway line out of the game. Um, that would be my preference. But you know, there we go. <laughs> yeah, the the tactical foul goes goes so unpunished, and 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 Arsenal were doing it to Villa on Saturday. Um, if if tactical fouls were always punished with a booking, you know, every player gets one. Yeah. You do two, you're off. I think that would be a rule change that we we would see, and it would also improve the the it would improve the goals. There'd be a lot more goals scored. There'd be a lot of of other stuff because the top teams in particular are really cute at it. As you say, the Fernandinho foul, Liverpool Liverpool do it really well as well. All the top teams do it. Arsenal did it to Villa, and um, it's just a cheeky little foul. You get away with it. And, and with the current rule, you don't really get booked until you foul four, five, six times. So you can potentially break up four or five attacks, you know, just by a shirt tug or something very gentle before you see a booking. And what you're doing there is deliberately disrupting the opponent's momentum to stop attacks and to actually reduce the amount of goals that the Premier League will see. So I would like to see those kind of things punished as well, Andy. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, I... You know, never, never a foul. Bit of a strange, bit of a bit strange that we've had to talk about it, really. But you know, it was one, one of those sort of talking points from the game. But the main talking point, of course, of the the first half was 
was um, when Villa went behind to the to the Saka goal as the the ball broke out following a, a decent move by Arsenal. Um, the England forward shinned the ball back towards the goal, which completely wrong-footed Martinez, who also, in fairness to him, um, appeared unsighted. Um, the goal had been coming, and, and we were probably fortunate that it was only one at half-time. Uh, Gerard stated um, that he was looking um, for a fast start, you know, with plenty of intention, intent and aggression, Um but it was anything but that, as we lacked any any of those things. Um, Gerard has said has said this a few times after the games that his teams haven't really done what he's asked of them, uh, particularly sort of in in the in the opening stages of the game, um, in terms of intensity and things like that. Um, so why do you think this is? Is this a, just a disconnect in communication, or or, or are the the players, in, you know, just just not up to or don't want to, um, you know, carry out his instructions. The system's crap, Andy. The system's crap. It hasn't worked at all well. The only time it's kind of worked, the two number 10s I'm talking about, sorry, to be specific. The only time it really worked, I would say, is a way up Palace, where we had, um, where we didn't have Coutinho at that point. It was, I want to say, Ramsey... Uh, was playing as one of the number 10s with Buendia or Ashley Young was playing as one of the number Ashley 10s Young. with Buendia. But there was one of them, Was it was basically a midfielder for all intents and purposes, playing that second number 10 role who who were comfortable in midfield so they're able to fill in and, and help help us control the midfield. Um, the system with The system might work with different personnel, but the system does not work at... With 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 Brendia and and Coutinho, we've seen that quite clearly. We're now one win in nine. I want to say with those two playing that system, you don't need probably much more market research than that. I would imagine to 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 make a decision. That's a lot of Premier League football where we have not won, and most of those games we have not played very well with the system. Um, so the Gerard came out and uh, dug out the players a little bit and said. And I quote, he said, well, the players don't believe in the system. Why would they believe in the system? The system consistently fails. The system doesn't suit them. So we can say that the players aren't up to it. And that's true to, to a point. I agree the players are not up to playing this system or the personnel that he's picking cannot play these two number 10 systems and be effective in the Premier League. But we've all, we already know that. We've already learned that lesson. So the question then, the buck then stops with the manager and the buck stops with uh, his mate Beal as well. If you already know that your players are not up to playing the system, are you just going to keep smashing your head against a brick wall and moaning about them? Oh, the players can't do this. The players can't do this. We keep losing. Or as the manager, is it your responsibility to adjust the system to one that does suit the players, which we saw. It just worked. We won three on the spin, didn't concede a goal, scored like six or seven, eight, nine goals, wherever it was, some, some bonkers. A 4-0 win, a 3-0 win, and a 2-0 win. 11-0, 11 we won three games in a row with a different system. So it's not that the players are completely useless or completely crap. I'm the first person that will, that will talk about a player's limitations when I see them. But I'm not blaming the players for this one. I'm not blaming the players for not believing in the system because the system doesn't work for them. Now, 
it may be that Gerard will change the players and get players in that suit the system. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he can't do it until the transfer window opens in the summer. So until such time as Gerard has the players he needs to play his two number 10 system, he has surely got to bin it because we just keep losing with it, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think with this as well, though, I'm, I'm sort of looking at it as a, you know, you know, it, if a player, I mean, that it's it's how they look, isn't it? When they when when they when they go out to play as well, the system's one thing, but also, you know, intensity has got nothing to do with the system, has it? You know, getting on the front foot and having a go and 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 winning your tackles and and um, you know passing the ball forward and making runs and stuff like that. That's got nothing to do with. The, with the lineup, is it that that that's that's to do with that's an attitude thing, isn't it? Surely, I think it's it's a chicken and the egg thing. If you don't have the system, if if you don't have the ability to get, you know, it's it's. I, I, let me put it like this: If I am coming back to England, I am going to the system that I'm going to use to do that is an aeroplane, or maybe if I'm feeling very very bored, a boat. Those are the systems I'm going to use. If someone gives me a bicycle to get there, it doesn't matter what my attitude is, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to get back to England on a bicycle. Even though it's a travel system, I can't do it. I don't have the skill set. Maybe other someone else could. I can't. So in at, at, at some point, and and again, I I'm not saying he doesn't have the he shouldn't get the players he wants. If he wants to change every single player. I don't like squad churn. I won't enjoy it. If he wants to get rid of everyone and start from scratch in the summer, so be it. He's a Villa manager. He has that right to do so. But I I, I cannot defend him setting up players to fail and then coming out and digging them out in the media for playing a system that he knows they can't do. So for me, I think it's, it is it is a chicken and the egg thing. Do the players not believe because because they are they've got bad attitudes or do they are they thinking well hold on mate they must they, they're talking amongst themselves we've just won, won three out of four we're flying confidence is high why is he going back to this again it doesn't work so i could see heads dropping in that way in the way you know you work if you're at work you work in, in a team and your manager has you on a project which you know is doomed to fail yeah you you, you don't necessarily go into it with the same with the same with the same Vig, vim and vigor, you know, when everything's not tickety-boo. So I can see that side of it. But for me, for me at this point, the evidence is overwhelming. The system doesn't work with these players and I'm not blaming the players for not being able to play it. I think Gerard just has to wait until he has his players that can do it. Until then, do something else. Yeah, I think I think that's it, isn't it? Um I think he's 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 kind of. Um, I mean, I suppose the problem he has is 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 he has he has these these two guys, doesn't he? Coutinho and Buendia. Um, one of them is the club's record signing, and the other one is it's it's absolutely astonishing and unthinkable that he's even at the club. So, um, 
you know, they've kind of, they've almost both got to play somehow. Um, and maybe it's just a case of he thought against Arsenal, maybe we, we, get, we get the ball in, in, we need to move the ball in, in tighter areas. You know, perhaps there isn't, if you've got two two guys up front, maybe you, you, you're missing something sort of deeper in in midfield, maybe. Who knows? He he thought he thought for, that for whatever reason this might might be worth revisiting for this game, um, but yeah, I mean it wasn't it it, it was it was completely <laughs> disjointed and actually, <laughs> and I and, and I, I I actually think that playing Buendia and um, Coutinho together in those positions, you know, you could potentially find another role for one of them, maybe in midfield or. But playing them, the two of them in those positions detract from each other. They're not. They, they. It's not that they can't play together necessarily, but neither of them seem as effective as 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 when they play individually. Uh, well, they don't. And and again, this is not something that's 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 um that's that's news. What if he had done Gerard? That is. What if he had done a four-three-three system? And you have Buendia as the right winger with license to drift, and you have Coutinho as the left winger with license to drift. Um, obviously, they're not kind of uh, um, you know rule fox kind of wingers, you know, bombing up and down the line. That's an old reference for you, or like an Aaron Lennon. They're not those kind of wingers trying to get to the byline, but they are at least then you you have some you have some width, and you have the opportunity to find them in space. They were overcrowded and overroared in that middle of the pitch because it was far too congested. If you've got Coutinho by the touchline or Brendia by the touchline, both of them have the ability to pick a pass. Coutinho can certainly beat a man. And all of a sudden, if he beats his fullback, all of a sudden we create overloads. We've got the midfield runners in John McGinn and, uh, and, and, and young Ramsey joining in. And, and you're asking a different question. Um, we didn't see that. And, and that's fine. But the other question I'd ask is, there was no tactical switch until 70 minutes. Now, Andy, you were in the whole end. Uh, you were there, K2 Villa. I wasn't there, but I could see after seven minutes <laughs> that this was not going very well. So what, yeah. why, this is a question for you. What, first of all, what was the vibe in the stadium? And second of all, why is he, wait, Gerard waited till the 70th minute to, to change anything around, to change the system, which is clearly not, not, causing Arsenal any problems whatsoever I think that's tends to be when he does things isn't it I th- it's a strange thing with managers because Dean Smith was a bit like this as well Dean Smith would he was would, yeah would, would would wait and wait and wait wouldn't he to 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 make changes and you sort of think well it's 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 clearly it's, uh, but then sometimes he'd make changes at half time when and it was it was I, I was remembering when we were down to ten men at Rotherham and he bought Codger on at half time and we went two up front and I thought and he's sort of thinking, Well that's that's crazy, but then sometimes you'd be one nil down at home um and you're there in the eighty fifth minute and he's just making his first substitution and you think <laughs> you know, there's there was no you know, rhyme or reason. Glenn Whelan for Connor Harrahan. But, but I'm I'm the sort of person, look, and I know look people go up talk about football tactics and there are podcasts and TV shows and blogs and everything dedicated to um, football tactics 
for me, substitutions are quite often luck, in my opinion. Of course, you make you make substitutions based on, you know, the you know the the, the condition of the players and if there's injuries, if there's if there's yellow cards, if there's um, you know certain tactical tweaks. But if they whether they pay off or not is pure luck. You know this whole thing about you know when a player comes on and scores a goal and it's some kind of um, you know tactical g- genius move from a manager is uh, is 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 utter nonsense. You know it, it can just as easily go the other way when they're just they're, and they're just they're just terrible, as we saw on Saturday um, with with at least two of the substitutes that he brought on just had no impact on the game whatsoever. So. You know, it's um, I'm a, I'm always a little bit. Uh, I like to see a manager go for it. I like to see a, a, a progressive change, um, and also like to see the other way. If you if you're winning the game, I like to see a manager say, "Well, you know, let's let's um, try and manage this this victory now and 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 that sort of thing." But I'm not. I I, I don't know. Um, I'm not one of these to start shouting at the bench. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. I'm not one of those. I'm. I'm quite happy to. I am because <laughs> I always. I always think because I. Maybe it's my character, but I always think. Well, if you take off that player, he might be the one that's going to score you the equaliser, you know. And you've yeah. taken him off. And uh, yeah, that can happen. Can't oh, yeah, you never you know. know. You often see that. Uh, uh, you know, if there's a a few minutes before a, a substitution's about to be made, and the guy's standing on the touchline, and they say. Oh, this this player's coming on for uh, for 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 Ollie Watkins, for example, and then Ollie Watkins he gets scored. a chance. I think that happened to Ollie Watkins. Yeah, yeah. I think earlier this season. I think Hotter that happened with Hotter uh, last week. Actually, I think as well. He was about to be subbed, uh, scored, and then uh, Klopp subbed him anyway. <laughs> um, but I, th- I think it's just interesting, and and uh, we're going to talk about the, the second half. But it's just interesting whether it's a substitution or not. I was just baffled that he took until 70 minutes um, to make a change. But you're absolutely right in what you say. Dean Smith was the same. Dean Smith, and and, and is it hubris? Is it just, uh, is it kind of, yeah, I just believe in this and it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. Oh, no, it's not working. I'll change it now. Maybe it's that. Uh, or maybe it's indecisiveness. Maybe it's sitting on your hands and being kind of nervous to, 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 to make a change. But what on earth Gerard saw in the first 70 minutes which made him believe that personnel didn't need to change on that pitch or team shape didn't need, need to change on that pitch is an absolute, absolute mystery to me because I watched a, a, a very poor team performance, very disjointed, and I saw players that needed some help from their manager yeah. and they didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're possibly right. Um, although I would, I would count, I would kind of caveat that with the the fact that Arsenal. You know, are an excellent side, and they're getting better and better under Arteta. They've got some really good, really good players. Um, but yeah, the second half was was somewhat better um, in a sense. Villa Villa did finish looking perhaps the more likely to nick a point. Um, Gerard threw on uh, Traore and Bailey um, to change things up in the attacking third with little effect. Um, although it was Villa's other sub, Danny Ings, who went close with a with a looping header towards the end. Um, there were several below par displays, although I thought Matty Cash and probably Douglas Louise were, were, were amongst Villa's better performers. Um, 
you know, prior to, you know, obviously this week joining up with their national teams. Um, but it's the end of March. There's still nine games to go. Um, some argue perhaps not an awful lot to play play for. Um, is there any excuse for these players to maybe have the proverbial flip-flops on already? Um, and what can Gerard do to get them motivated again? Um I don't think there's any excuse because the 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 season is not over. There's still a lot to play for. You're playing for something like three or four million pounds per Premier League place. So if you can if you can Premier Triple P, there you go, Premier League place. Uh, so try and say that uh, three times while spinning around in a circle. Um, the bottom line is that we have to make sure that we're an attractive proposition going into the summer. There is still the the kind of carrot of finishing in the top half of the table for the first time in ten years or something bonkers for Aston Villa. Um, Gerard, I'm sure, will will personally want to outperform Dean Smith's eleven place finish from last season. I'm sure that's probably something that motivates him, and certainly that would be a good thing for Perslow and the the board to say um, at the end of the season when they start doing their you know uh, interviews as Perslow likes to do his close season summaries. It would be a good kind of soundbite for them to say, yes, we lost our captain and most influential player, Jack Grealish, but actually we were able to finish above our league placing from last season, which shows that, you know, we're moving in the right direction. I think that's that's not just um, make-believe that momentum and forward momentum is, is real. I think it, it shows that the project is moving in the correct kind of direction. And also lots of these players, as we alluded to earlier, are playing for their futures. Um, if they want to hang around at Aston Villa, if they want to be Premier League players, they need to. They need to. They need to. They need to step up. We saw that Steven Gerrard really gave short shrift to some of the players already. Uh, Target was bombed out. He's gone to Newcastle. Anwar El Ghazi didn't particularly get a sniff under Gerrard. He's now warming the bench at Everton. Uh, Daniel Betridge's paramour Trezeguet is now uh, ripping it up in in probably in a league more. More befitting his talents, so it's not like <laughs> it's not as though Steven Gerrard is. That's uh, the man that kept us in the Premier League, right? No, Let's it is. It that. is. It is. You're right. It is. <laughs> um, but the, um, the, the 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 bottom is line is the penny needs to drop here. Danny Ings, you're playing for your Villa future, mate. Uh, Bertrand Traore, you're playing for your Villa future. Leon Bailey, I think probably he's going to have another year. Uh, but there are players now, Esri Konza's, uh, I don't think he's playing for his Villa future, but his position has come under scrutiny for the first time. With you yourself saying earlier in this podcast, Daniel, that you know Callum Chambers should be in ahead of him. So everyone is kind of playing, not everyone, but most of the players are playing for their future and uh, they, they, they have to, I don't think it's a motivation issue. I think we saw with the recent performances where, again, we've, we've, we've won 3-0, 4-0, 2-0, I believe. Um, we've seen that the motivation is there. I think the players were let down by the system on this occasion. And I think that if we go into Wolves with a system that the players are happy with, and I can I can hear people probably shouting at their car radios, being like, "You can't have the tail wagging the dog." Gerard picks the team, and they should go with with him. Yes, that's it in a perfect world. But just until the end of the season, let's at least get to forty points. Let's at least try and secure a top half finish. Then Gerard, they've got a full preseason, a full transfer window. Tear it up, do what you want, and I, I will back you. But um, 
we need to make sure that we are using these games um, because we need them. We're also, by the way, <laughs> if, if you needed more motivation, we're also auditioning to be the permanent home of a Mr. Philippe Coutinho, who ha will have admirers after his uh, performances for Aston Villa. So that in itself should serve as motivation for Aston Villa to keep on, keep keeping on. Yeah, I think that I think that's true. I just feel that you know I got this distinct sense um, on Saturday because I was really I was really up for the game on Saturday. I, I was really looking forward to it, and then you know really from arriving at the ground, sort of feeling a little bit there was a bit of a flat atmosphere, and obviously Arsenal kind of quieted the crowd crowd very quickly um, by keeping the ball, <laughs> not letting not giving Villa a sniff. Um, but it was very flat, and and I, I get the I get the feeling that the the club as a whole felt like it was on the beach. Probably other than Gerard, I think he's the you know he he's obviously you know taking this 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 whole thing very very seriously. Um, but I just got the feeling there, and and I'm sure players you know don't necessarily have that. That, that kind of outward thing of I don't care anymore, but they there must be a sense once they're in a certain position where they're not going to get relegated and they can't really get get into Europe. Um, of well, you know, I, I perhaps just need to keep myself fit here, and um, or I'm thinking about my next move by this stage. Um, you know, I'm thinking about my summer holidays, <laughs> all that kind of thing. You know. And, you know, it must be a it must be a real thing um, in that regard, and and I think the same was true in the stands. I, f I felt like it was a very sort of end of season atmosphere. Lots and lots of people kind of leaving, sort of ten minutes to go, um, even though we were still in the game and we were pushing for an equaliser. So it was all it was all very um, you know, and and you can't blame that on the travel the travel situation because it was like two o'clock in the afternoon, so. You know, you can you can get to where you need to go <laughs> from that time without leaving uh, leaving the ground early. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's just that that kind of thing, really. And it's a shame because a couple of weeks ago, after the Leeds game, everyone was buzzing and there was a real intensity about the place, and people were enjoying 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 the atmosphere of of of, of watching a winning team and you know Coutinho and and uh Chambino um ripping it up as well but you know it's it seems to have over the last two games it seems to have died off again which is a bit of a shame yeah i i again it's a chicken and the egg is it uh, and i've seen this debate happening on on villa twitter this week is it the crowd's responsibility to kind of be there and inspire the team or do the team need to really inspire the crowd i think it's a bit of both probably in truth um i think had had villa have shown something anything for the crowd to get behind they would have gotten behind them they would have gotten into it you know if, if Coutinho would beat a couple of man and men should I say and, and and bounce one off the crossbar in the first five minutes you know that would have lifted the crowd if 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 um if we were playing nice intricate football and and and, and asking Arsenal some questions that lifts the crowd but when it's just so drab and dire when the team can't string five passes together it's just disconcerting as a fan. And I was flat as a pancake having set my alarm for an early early rise on Saturday morning. 
um, and and feeling like I'd been mugged off. You know, I, I would have been better off asleep in bed than getting up watching that dross. So I can only imagine people who are driven from up and down the country, people get babysitters, uh, people sacrifice or book time off work. You know, it's not always straightforward for people to get to Villa Park. So you spent your money, you've, you've, you've put your investment in getting there and you served up that dross. I can't really blame the fans for being flat because I would flat myself again, from, you know, just from my armchair because I was irritated I'd set an alarm for this nonsense. But the, the imperative isn't there either, though, is it? You know, when we're going for that equaliser, it doesn't really matter. In people's minds, it doesn't really matter. You know, we've had seasons recently, obviously nearly getting relegated two years ago, and the promotion season uh, pushes before that, you know, where every point, every goal was absolutely vital. Um, it, it It isn't this season, and that's... That's the almost the the trade off for that mid table security or mediocrity, as some people say, um, and 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 being safe and being you know being okay, being a, a, a pretty good Premier League team, um, which is where we all wanted to be uh, three or four years ago, wasn't it? And you know the the fact of the matter is that we are you know within um, a whisker now of of having our best finish since since Julio was manager you know so um that should be a bit of a motivation i think but you know whether it's um it doesn't really translate as anything sort of tangible does it which is which is a bit of a, a problem but you know what you said there about you know losing um you know that the, the captain losing losing Grealish the man that held everything together and made everything tick and still um, being able to um, to group together a season where we finish potentially higher than we did with him in the team, um, I think I think would be would be quite some achievement. So um, you know, there, from that perspective, there is there is something to play for, isn't there? Yeah, there um, is, there is. But um, but yeah, I think I think it is. It's imperative now that we um, we 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 look at these next fixtures try and finish as high as we can and that we have pride in that let's have pride that we are pretty much <laughs> barring some kind of statistical miracle safe in the premier league i mean we do have 36 points we're not i don't think we're mathematically safe but we are probably for all intents and purposes safe at this point so um let's take pride in that because as Tyrone Mings, I think, said last week so eloquently, uh, when he joined the club three and a half years ago, any and all of us would have snatched your hand off for this kind of uh, almost uh, mediocre end to the season, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And 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 that's what we've got. <laughs> so we just have to enjoy it. Um, but now we head into the, the international break and Villa again have a host of internationals jetting off all around the globe. Um, the most recent call-up was uh, just, just recently, just yesterday, um, as Ollie Watkins was drafted in by Gareth Southgate to replace Tammy Abraham in the England squad. Um, it was another kind of below par display by Watkins against Arsenal, uh, following a reasonably impressive run in recent weeks alongside Danny Ings. Um, as we discussed with, with Cash last week, there will be interest um, over the summer in, in Ollie Watkins um, and there may be a decision to be made about about whether we we cash in or, or go in a different um, and go in a different direction, or try to to to, to see if Ollie Watkins can can revitalise and 
and um, make the most of his, his obvious abilities that he has leading the line for another season. Uh, where do you stand on this particular question? Well, I think that um, we did discuss with Cash last week, and that was a really good chat, actually, talking about uh, Kane Kessler-Hayden. I realised when I listened back to the show that I couldn't remember what the word initials was, so I kept saying random things. But anyway, uh, this week... Yeah, Ollie, Ollie Watkins is the is is the same is is the same thing. Um, as I said earlier, I will absolutely back Gerard to tear it up and start again. Uh, lots of this team was built for Dean Smith. Ollie Watkins is one of the best pressing forwards in the Premier League. Uh, Gerard doesn't seem to press from the front in the same way. So you, Ollie Watkins in the Gerard system becomes less valuable. By the way we're playing, it seems as though we need a player who is kind of of the ilk, shall we say, of uh, a Keenan Davis, but better before anyone gets upset with me. Uh, uh, probably a goal-scoring Keenan Davis, or, or maybe like a Robbie Firmino, someone who's going to be able to, maybe not Robbie Firmino, but someone who's going to be able to win the ball, um, hold it up, hold off defenders and and lay it off and, and be involved in as a link-up man. And and that kind of thing. It seems to be what this this team this this team is missing. Certainly on on uh, Saturday against Arsenal, the ball's going long to Watkins with his back to goal, and he's just not great at it. He he, he can be okay at it, but he's not going to. He's not like a Heskey or a Davis or a Keenan Davis who's going to be able to just pin his man and control the ball dead and hold on to it. Um, he's going to lose it probably more often than not, unfortunately. So whether or not Ollie Watkins is the right um, player for this Gerrard system, I think remains to be seen. Um, he was absolutely perfect, Ollie Watkins, that is, for the Dean Smith system. But I'm not sure from what I've seen if Gerrard is going to go with his two number 10s. I'm not sure that, that, that Watkins is the type of person that you want as the fulcrum of that, because I don't think he has the the technical intricacies to play with a, a Coutinho in the way that Coutinho might like to be linked with. I don't think he can do those back heels and that quick passing in and around the penalty area on the edge of the the the, the, the D. Um, and Watkins admitted that himself in a recent interview where he said that you know Coutinho is just too quick for him. Um, so if if Gerard decides that Watkins isn't right for his system then it would be wise to, to cash in and go a different direction. That doesn't mean I want Watkins out. It doesn't mean I think he's crap. It's just about suitability for Gerard's system. And this is one of the problems when you change coaches, when you go, you know, different coaches have different ideas, different strategies, and they need different personnel to make their team work. And while Ollie Watkins, again, was the perfect Dean Smith striker, from what I've seen, he's not the perfect Steven Gerrard striker, unfortunately. No, that's that. That's the thing, isn't it? And that's the big shift. And whenever you change a manager, I suppose you have to be prepared for that, don't you? That players who, you know, we said the same with with Douglas Louise, haven't we? How he was he was perfect in Dean Smith's midfield, but in Gerrard's midfield, he doesn't really do do what you want him to do. Certainly not in the number six role. So, um, you know, Ollie Watkins perhaps falls into that category as well. And I think. I think he he has had a tricky season. Um, he had a bit of a bit of a funny start to the season. Uh, he was injured um, initially, wasn't he? And then and obviously Danny Ings had come in, and I think a lot of things unsettled him. And then obviously the manager changing. 
um, has perhaps not helped um, in some ways, but he has shown in in patches that he can be a really sort of dominant dominant centre forward. I think he's actually pretty good coming off the left, and I think I, I liked him in that front two with Ings, where they were kind of you know split down the middle, and we were all, we were almost playing with a false nine. Um, with with Coutinho, weren't we? And 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 the, the two guys, kind of either either side in the channels. Um, I thought you know it worked quite well, and I do like him in that position. I think I think when he when he gets into that channel, he's he's and he's running at he's 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 facing defenders. I think he's I think he's quite dangerous. He's got a turn of pace, and he can he can shift it and shoot. And I think that's a that's a really good um, you know really, that's a really dangerous. Thing. It's just whether you know that this is a system and a, and a style of play which which is going to endure under 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 Gerard really. And the other question is, of course, um, maybe not so much with Davis, but what what might be happening with with Cameron Archer coming back, um, and also the the links to Luis Suarez as well, which um, you know probably rear, rear up again at some point. So. Um, I guess we just have to see. There's there's an awful lot of um, things we don't know about the summer. It's going to be a very kind of topsy turvy um, couple of months, I imagine. Um, you know where I think we are going to lose some players that we like, and that's going to be a little bit painful. Um, but equally, equally, um, I think there'll be some big signings coming in, which which should soften the blow. But <laughs> It didn't didn't really last season as we discussed earlier. Um, no, so. it didn't. Although I'm starting to get over that now. I'm starting to I'm starting to pine for him back on loan in the summer. But we can talk about that in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe well, he could just come back and yeah, everything will be all right. Yeah, it just needs to be be, be closer to his mum, maybe. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, closer to Ross McCormick. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> but since we last recorded, um, it was also announced that 19-year-old Tim Erogbunum had signed uh, a, a new five and a half-year contract and will now be a full-time member of the the Aston Villa first-team squad. Um, this is actually it feel, seems like a really long, long deal for for an academy player, considering that you know the last one. The sign was Cameron Archer, and and that was that's a, th- a three year de- deal, I believe. Um, that was only a couple of months ago, and with Kani Chukwemeka still dithering on his future, Douglas Louise looking likely to leave, and and Sanson unable to catch the eye, um, could this put Irogbenham either even further in contention? Do you think for first team minutes in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think so. I think that. Um... I think that this is one of the problems with this is probably the fifteenth time I've said chicken and egg. It's the same with Carney. Um, Carney doesn't want to commit until he is played more, apparently. But Gerard probably doesn't want to play him more until he commits his future to Aston Villa. Because why, from Gerard's point of view and Aston Villa's point of view, Carney, if you're off, mate, why in the hell are we going to develop develop you for someone else to benefit from? The transfer fee at this stage in the game is not going to be life-changing for Aston Villa just because he's so young and even all that potential, you know, is he going to go for more than five, six, seven million pounds with a year left on his deal, Carney? I would doubt doubt it. Um, so when you're looking at Irogbanum, 
you now know that he's committed to Aston Villa. He's an Aston Villa asset for the foreseeable, foreseeable future. And you bring him into the first team. You let him play some minutes, particularly, as we said, that there are going to be some dead rubbers. Hopefully we can get over that 30 po- uh, 40 point mark sooner or later. There's going to be some dead rubbers towards the end of the season. And it gives uh, young Tim some valuable experience. And then in the summer, you let him go away, come back. Uh, maybe he comes back like uh, Jacob Ramsey did, just turns from a boy into a man and he's ready for prime time in the Premier League. Or maybe it's a question of softly, softly, slowly, slowly. Maybe Tim goes to a championship team for a year, uh, a bit like Cameron Archer has done in the last few months to develop further and really hone his craft uh, and toughen up in men's football. But whatever pathway that that uh, that Tim Irogbunum has... The pathway is now with Aston Villa. He's committed, he's in, and um, I would love to see some more of him this season just as we um, just as we start to wind down now because let's, let's give him that experience. And as we know, as I said last year with uh, Jacob Ramsey, these Premier League minutes are like gold dust. If, if Tim can get 20 minutes here, 25 minutes there, maybe even a start, um, it's going to do wonders for his development and his uh, self-belief and self-confidence moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I was I was really kind of um, encouraged by the length of the contract because, like I say, we you don't tend to see that from academy players. They used to, they they tend to be a little bit shorter, and then once they've you know maybe established or or started to establish themselves, then you you hit them with a big a big contract. But you know this this. Um, you know they're obviously very very sure about this lad well if it yeah well if, if they're hitting people with contracts that could be why Carney hasn't signed <laughs> like what? Well, you people don't appreciate me you've just hit me over the head with this contract i was so, that's a stupid joke i'm sorry some players Andy. some players need that other players need a need, need a, a more softly softly some players need a fan with a contract you know, others need a belt. Whatever the, whatever the players do in the privacy <laughs> of their own homes with um, with contracts and things is up to them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, it, it's, it, they're obviously very sure about him, aren't they? And, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, the fact that he's now, you know, I mean, he's been in the first team squad, hasn't he, consistently since Gerard came in. Um you know he's had a he's had a few minutes on the field against Brighton, um, but they need to start up in that now. And, and like like we said last last year with Ramsey, you give Ramsey the minutes, you invest in the players, in the player that is going to be there next season. Um, I've no interest in in seeing Carney in the in the squad at all, really, unless he's um, unless he does he's going to sign a contract. So um, yeah, absolutely. It's- what would you do with him, Andy? Um- uh, so obviously you're saying not in the squad until you sign a contract. He's he's already said apparently he's not signing a contract to the end of the season if at all. So the end of the season comes um, and he decides he's not signing because he says, well, Steve and Gerard, you haven't given me enough minutes. Uh, what do you say to Carney? What would be your kind of tactic? Well, I, I imagine this is why he's, he is still around the squad, you know, because he's not indicated either way, you know what his what his intentions are so you, you kind of want to keep him interested don't you I suppose there's nothing wrong with that really I mean if he if he was actually saying you know or privately at least within the club that no he's not going to do it and he's going to he's going to he's going to want away in the summer then 
you, 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 there's no point picking him, is there? But you know, he's because he's, he's. It's not like he's he's done he's done well. He's looked good in flashes, but he hasn't ripped up any trees. You know, uh, it's not like that midfield either has been impenetrable for uh, for anyone. Although, <laughs> although Morgan Sanson seems to uh, have, 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 have found a, found it hard to get into, yeah. but you know, a player with a with 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 you know a decent amount of bit of ability could have um, could have easily kind of forced their way in. I think so. Um, he's obviously got that ability, but for whatever reason, he's he's just not not really um, not really caught the eye and not really forced Gerard's hand in that respect. So. Um, yeah, he'll be on the bench only until the end of the season, and then they'll he'll he'll um, play cat and mouse, I guess, and he'll either sign or he won't. But one way or another, um, he'll sign for someone. Um, and, we'll see. and if he doesn't sign, presumably Villa would would sell him. I mean, I could be, I could see a, uh, I could see a, 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 a maybe a solution for all parties. Maybe Villa sell him to someone. Dortmund are quoted within with with. Um, with with interest, maybe you sell Carney to Dortmund, uh, but you have a Douglas Louise style buyback clause. So let's say, just for the sake of numbers, maybe Dortmund buy Carney for six million, and we say, all right, we'll 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 treble your money for you, Dortmund. We'll have a buyback for eighteen million, but it doesn't kick in for two years. So um, that way, Villa aren't Villa have got got Carney to come back in two years at a relatively favourable price. Um, he gets to go with play football he wants to do. Dortmund get to treble their money and hopefully develop another quality young English talent. And maybe that's a deal that, that works for everyone. Um, maybe you do something like that if he doesn't want to sign a new deal yeah. in the summer. Possibly. Whether whether Villa have the um, have the, the gravitas to, um, to do that and whether they have the... Because he, he only, he'll only have... A year left on his contract, so you know whether that will be something that appeals to Dortmund. They might want that release clause a little bit higher um, than that, but um, we'll just have to see. And 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 uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know they're working on him behind the scenes, and and they'll 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 get him to sign. But there's a few players, there's other players that they they'll be working on as well, and uh, it's going to be a really really busy few months, I think, for the. Uh, for the Villa hierarchy, um, you know they might need a few more negotiators in there. I think. <laughs> well, I'm available, Aston Villa. I could come and I could come and cut you a yeah. deal. They'll be calling for Samuel L. Jackson, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, just a, just a quick one, really, um, because there's no game this weekend to to predict. So, you know, over the next few few matches, mm. you know. Um, a few players have maybe got their got you know got to show the manager what they're all about, and um, Gerard is obviously going to be uh, taking some serious notes over the coming weeks. You know who who can he trust, who can't he trust? Um, but who do you think in the squad really needs um, to 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 step up and 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 show their worth over the next the next nine matches? Um, tin hat at the ready, John McGinn. Blimey. Um far too far too inconsistent, John McGinn. Um he he he's absolutely spellbinding on occasion, and you look at him and you think, ah, you are the real deal. 
and then you'll see him against someone like Declan Rice, and uh, as we did last week against um, against West Ham, and he kind of looks like a not like a fraud. That would be too strong a word, but he looks like a, a, a pale imitation next to Declan Rice, who is, in all fairness, one of the best midfielders in the league. So uh, John McGinn is a bit of a bit of a unicorn, as we described him as before, a bit of a throwback. Um, I think that he is really an important player off the pitch, a bit like Tyrone Mings is. There's more to to John McGinn than than just his football. He's kind of such a key leader, such an important voice around the dressing room, such such a great character by all accounts, which is really important for a football club. But if Villa are planning to be a European qualifying side, so a top six, seven, eight side next season, John McGinn needs to perform consistently like a top six, seven, eight Premier League player. And I don't think even his biggest fan could could look him in the eye and say, yeah, he does that. Week in, week out, John McGinn is a top six Premier League midfielder. Sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't. So I think that um, that would be someone that I would look at and say, can you do, can we get the best version of John McGinn on a little bit more of a consistent basis? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I, I, I can't really disagree with that. I think, I think as much as I, and I am one of John McGinn's biggest fans, um, and I sometimes look at it and I think, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, at a certain level between, you know, making a team better um, and bringing all those great attributes that he does and holding the team back in some respects, you know, in, in terms of the things that he doesn't do well and he can't do very well, you know, and he's in a really important position in that team. Um, as one of those number eights, he gets through masses of work in that midfield, and I do think the the gravitas in his personality would be missed um, if we sold him. The question is, could you have, could you conceive of um, a situation where John McGinn is is at the club but isn't the first choice? You know, does that work? Um, it's, it's it's a really tricky one because he's such a such a, an integral character at the club similar to Tyro Mings and I think I think there could even be a, a decision to be made about him you know is there a is are there better options out there that we can get um you know for all of his 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 qualities you know does, does he does it you know does he limit us limit us in some way um I'm not sure but I suppose these are these are decisions to be to be made, aren't they? By 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 people um, who are paid a lot more than us, <laughs> you know. But these are these are players that are are in the team week on week, come what may. Um, but are they the answer, or or are they are they sort of part of the the, the reason we're not we you know we're not pushing into the top six? Well, no. they they have to be part of the reason because we're not. <laughs> 
we 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 there are certain players that I think if 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 we're looking at the, if if we it doesn't work like this so it's not really a fair it's not a binary choice like this but I think the what what I look at and and it's not an accurate measure so it is a little bit stupid because it's all about systems of personnel but if I look at the Premier League table I look at eight teams above us I see Man City Liverpool Chelsea Arsenal Tottenham Man United West Ham and Wolves and I think to myself how many of our team get into the top three or four clubs there? Uh, not too many. Not too many. Um, whereas if I look at Mings, could Mings play for Wolves? Yeah, yeah, I think Mings would start for Wolves. Could Mings start for West Ham? Yeah, I think Mings could start for West Ham. Same, I think Cash could. I think that uh, Martinez gets in those teams. Does McGinn? Does McGinn play instead of Ruben Neves? D no. Does he play instead of Declan Rice? No. So I think if you just look at it like that, and again, it's not it's not a hard and fast rule, but you start to consider where players' level might be and where their ceiling might be. But players can always improve and change. So it's again, it's not a hard and fast rule, but that's something that I like to do when I'm thinking about Villa progressing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I think there are going to be some big decisions to be made um, over the next few months, and it, it could get very interesting. Could be a bit, like I say, could be a bit, a bit painful <laughs> before, yeah, before um, before September the first or whenever the uh, the next transfer window closes. Um, but thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today, Craig. It's been a great chat. We've covered quite a lot, considering it was just a one nil defeat to Arsenal. Um, but uh, no, great, great stuff. And thanks to everyone for listening. Remember to uh, check out the website, andregaslitlamp.com, and give us a follow on all the socials um, for all the latest coverage of the club. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week to look ahead to the, the uh, Birmingham Black Country Derby. I think they call it a derby. Some people don't like that. Um, but we'll be, we'll be building up to that anyway. And um, um, so, so please join us then. And other than that, enjoy the international football, stay safe and up the villa.